Hello and welcome to the postscript. Yeah, we were talking about because you've been. Uh, I mean, you watched a lot of movies, but you've been taking a deep dive in art house stuff because yeah, uh, you you're subscribing to the Criterion Channel. Yeah, it's uh, well worth it. Like they have so much good shit. It's difficult to miss just a lot of really well curated movies and a lot of movie history. So I'm watching a lot of old movies, mm. um, silent movies. You know, I love that stuff. I watched. Uh, and we've talked about this before, but I watched Shere uh, Khan mm. of um, Victor Sjöström. Mm. Phantom Carriage. Yeah, the Phantom Carriage, the lead actor and uh, inspiration for uh, Smirton Stellet. Mm. Uh, what's that called in English? I'm almost saying Strawberry Fields, yes. but that's a Beatles song. <laughs> Strawberry Place. Jorkib Stellet. Jorkib Stellet. Wild Strawberries. Yeah, Wild Strawberries. Also a delightful movie, but yeah, the, the lead actor there was one of Bergman's inspirations. And mm. uh, I watched uh, The Phantom Carriage and it's it holds up. Mm. It's great. It's a bit moralistic and like didactic and sort of mm. a cautionary tale. Mm. But it's sort of uh, sort of unpleasant. Mm. <laughs> like it has a lot of terrible themes. Quite sad. Yeah, quite sad. Like abuse mm. and uh, sexual assault and uh, poisoning mm. and a lot of death and uh, horror. A lot of that early cinema, you know, it allows itself to try things both thematically and formally. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, it was less formal. It was less of a sort of specified mode of storytelling. You sort of had to feel your way. And, mm. and a lot of the early cinema was so experimental and, and interesting. But yeah, The Phantom Carriage had a lot of really interesting visual imagery. Mm. And I know that Bergman tried to recreate a lot mm. of that sort of feeling and imagery in uh, Wild Strawberries. I also think that Phantom Carriage reminds me a little bit of Murnau. It has some of that like Nosferatu-like potent imagery. Yeah, of... it feels very gothic. It's really beautiful. And it's so weird to see sort of scenes from the 20s, mm. actors in the 20s. Everything seems like so far removed from modern cinema mm. and like the modern world. It feels almost like esoteric mm. and it's really cool. Like it has this almost um, essential quality to it that uh, it's hard to describe, but it's really cool to watch. And also I was talking about M by Fritz Lang, another great classic movie. And it's also quite unpleasant and intense and very dark, of course. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. It's so modern in a way, like yeah. the way he communicates the story. But it's sort of laid the groundwork almost for like the detective thrillers mm. with the horrible serial killer. Like that's such a modern trope now. But at the time it was quite unusual and you didn't really have even the term serial killer. Fritz Lang's such a clever filmmaker. This is his first sound film. And one of the central conceits is that you just have the whistling of the killer and some of uh, the shadows and imagery. Yeah. So like the way he uses sound is really well thought out. Yeah, it's so cool. It is so good at it in his first, like he probably thought a lot about it. Yeah. And I love that he uses it as this leitmotif in almost a classical way. And it's really cool. Mm. And Peter Laurie as the bad guy. Yeah. I love Peter Laurie. That's so good. such a classic <laughs> part. He just looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so small and annoying. Weasley. And yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, his face is so expressive, like yeah. bulging eyes. Yeah, and, really, like almost made for silent movies. Yeah, but uh, really. yeah, yeah, he yeah. works so well. No, he had a great career in America later yeah, on. Yeah, of, well, of course. You know, I actually think he was the inspiration for, in Ren and Stimpy, I think, Ren's voice is, is inspired by Peter Laurie. That's actually interesting. 
Wasn't Shrek inspired by this French wrestler? Oh, really? Yeah. I think <laughs> like when you see pictures of him, he fucking looked like Shrek. He had this genetic condition that yeah. made him sort of look like Shrek. Did he have a, like a nose that looks like a suction yeah. cup? Well, not quite. <laughs> uh, you mean ears? That looks like suction cup? Oh, that ears, yeah. yeah. Ears, yeah. His nose is just sort of potato-ish. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the inspiration had the ears, but it did have the nose. I think the clinical term was he was Shrekified. Mm, Shreked. Yeah, he got Shreked. Uh, good old Shrek. Have you seen this? I'm pretty sure it's on the Criterion channel. There's this Danish-Swedish old film by Benjamin Christiansen called Haxen. No, but I, I've been meaning to watch it. I've heard about it for mm. ages. I've been meaning to watch it for ages. Uh, well, it's it's this amazing blend because it's kind of genre bending. It's part documentary, part fiction. It kind of mixes some humor. It has some stop motion animation yeah, and it has this gothic imagery. It ties into the whole experimental sort of mode of early filmmaking when stuff wasn't so tied down. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I've been super interested to watch it. Is it good? Like, it's great. It, yeah. And I was really surprised when I saw it back in the day. It kind of defied my expectations formally, but also it's really interesting. It deals with lots of interesting themes. It's all about witches and witchcraft and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It looks so interesting visually. Mm, it definitely is. It was filmed in 1920. Yeah, so, so fucking crazy. It's really like, old. A couple of years after World War One ended, like, <laughs> it's so insane. People were dealing with the fucking Spanish flu at the time. <laughs> yeah. And we're right back at it now. <laughs> back at it, boys. Yeah. You know, that's that's fucking a hundred years ago. Mm. And they made a cool movie. That's cool, man. I made that's a cool. cool movie 100 years ago. Yeah, I wonder like in a hundred years, what will people look back on now? They're going to look at... Um, the Emoji movie? Well, I was thinking maybe? of um, Uncut Gems. Yeah, prob- that. probably that and The Lighthouse. Yeah. I'm actually surprised at how popular The Lighthouse was. Mm. Like, uh, it's become such a meme. Mm. Like, you see references to it all the time. Mm. Like, Hark, the whole monologue by Willem Dafoe and stuff. Like, you, you come across it all the time online now, and, and, like, it seems like such an art house movie that it's strange to me how popular it became. But, of course, it's so good. I mean, it's it's really in-depth to this Ingmar Bergman style and expressionistic. Like, totally. But, you know, the director yeah, made this cult horror film that had a lot of steam, and he's got these great actors, character actors that are really well-known, you know, Robert Pattinson, so it easily captures the attention of a more casual audience. Yeah, or... and I think in large part it is because he's so aesthetically aware, mm. and his movies are incredibly beautiful. And not just, like, visually, but aesthetically, like, the mode of storytelling, the acting, the writing, of course, is so... The dialogue there. Like, uh, period-correct uh, dialogue mm. and stuff. Like, it does a lot of really interesting choices. And, you know, it does deal in some ambiguous spaces, but it is what you expect it to be. The package is very complete. You know what you're going to see. And that actually helps a lot, I think, with things like marketing and reaching out to an audience. It's a very specific thing and it uses a lot of niche framework. It can appeal wider because it has a lot of hooks that a more casual audience can identify with. Or well, place. also it's kind of mysterious. Like when you saw the trailer, for instance, mm. it's like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, the trailer this, is great. this seems like a dark, salty sea tale. Like it seems so interesting. But um, it also has like that horror vibe. Totally. Like especially in the marketing, it kind of almost sells it like a horror film. And it isn't so much the film. I mean, it's not a typical horror film at least, but a genre is always a good way to sell a movie like it's a detective film it's a sci-fi yeah, totally. that means there's a dedicated audience yeah i'm saying totally a lot now but mm. it is totally a good way of selling your movies like the witch was sold as a weird horror movie mm. but it's so much more than that of mm. course but using genre as a way to sort of getting the foot in the door of more casual audiences is always smart 
also the new Suspiria movie, for instance. Like horror is, can be a really good way of easing into some unpleasant and mm. weird cinema. Yeah, I love horror. Did you ever see The Black Coat's Daughter? It's been on my radar for a long time. It's this, one of these films that I know I want to watch and I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. So I'm just waiting for the right time, basically. Just um, waiting for the right planetary constellation of... Well, you know, you revealed me there. That is how <laughs> I choose my actions. Yes. You know, I'm an avid astrologer. I pay a, a lot of attention to the stars and <laughs> the skies. And when things align, that's how I act. I don't really consider myself an agent of free will. No. I'm just an embodiment of patterns from above. Cosmic forces. Yeah, the yes. spiritual realm. They dictate my I mean, uh, we, movie watching we, habits. We all are. <laughs> just sort of, if you're a Libra, then you, you, you're you bound to be a certain way. I'm more of a nacho Libra. Yeah, I see. <laughs> I haven't actually heard about that star sign before. Is that a... Yeah, it's the star sign in shape of a movie. Okay. With uh, Jack Black as a wrestler. I haven't actually watched that movie no, me neither. I'm sure it's fun. I don't know. Yeah, I like Jack Black. It's such a different... It seems almost like stupid in a way, like so classically American humor, like uh, a lot of his movies. But it is what it is. You sort of got to take it for it. And and I kind of like it. I like Jack Black. And he has a, you know, healthy career on loads of stuff. I think, you know, in the silent era, I think he would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. Like him next to Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> He's the kind of guy, if you cast him right, it'll be transcendent, I think. Yeah. It, and he's for me, he hasn't had that role where he's truly been allowed to shine perfectly. He's done lots of good stuff, don't get me wrong. And some, you know, not so interesting, some a little bit boring. But I still think that there's a chance for him to, like, transcend in his career. Yeah, he hasn't really had that huge dramatic role that a lot of comedians slash actors yeah. have done. But it doesn't have to be that. It could also be just a small part. Something where, you know, where well, that happened with Johnny Depp, right? With uh, Jack Sparrow initially. That was a transcendent. I mean, he'd done a lot of stuff I really liked and might not specifically be my favorite of his roles. But that was a transcendent moment for his career. He really managed to break through something very specific to him. In a way, it was too good. Yeah. Like it defined everything he did from that point on. Mm -hmm. And everything was sort of Jack Sparrowish from that point mm -hmm. on. Like he sort of became... I think there's a really interesting drama film in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was kind of the best thing and the worst thing about those movies. I think I personally like the second one best because it's a bit more playful. I and think both the first and the second one are legit good adventure movies. Yeah. And sort of surprisingly so because they're based on a theme park ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can base a movie on anything. Like yeah, You can base it on Madame Bovary and it can be shit. But like, I, I uh, probably wouldn't bet on a movie based on a Disney theme park ride to yeah. be legitimately like a good adventure movie. But the thing that annoys me a little bit, I mean, the first film is, I'm not really interested in that romantic conceit. And I don't think that Alanda Bloom and um, Karen Knightley, the chemistry, it's not shit, but it's not great either. I don't think they're that good actors either to be. They can be cast well, you know, they're, they're good actors, of course they are, but it's always a matter of casting. Like to me, they're more character actors if you cast them well. And I don't think they necessarily need to be leads. Well, I mean, you're right. Maybe I've just seen them miscast too many times mm. and draw conclusions. Sometimes the problem with people who I feel are character actors, but they're really, you know, good looking and they're put in the leading role. And a lot of leading roles aren't that interesting. I think Alana Bloom, similar to we were talking about Jack Black, I don't think there's a potential there for like a really juicy role that fits in perfectly. Yeah, he should contact Robert Eggers and see if there's a spot because <laughs> Robert Pattinson had the exact same problem. Yeah, but he's more interesting already, I think. 
He has a very expressive face. Yeah. He was cast for this brooding main character. Yeah. And he's been choosing, you know, that's one of the things that's great about him. He's been choosing projects really carefully and really well. Like he's looking at directors. He's been managing his career really well. And I don't think you can say the same about Orlando Bloom. No, but that's why I said he really should, you know, take a more Mm. proactive approach Mm. and really select some fine up and coming author movie makers and really, you know, make his mark as a serious thespian. I believe in him. Mm. I believe in redemption. Yeah, the redemption arc. Yeah. Beautiful thing. <laughs> Although uh, I also like the unredemptive arc, the unpleasant hammer of doom. Uh, which actor are you talking about? Oh, no, just as a story. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, who? what actor would that be? That's interesting. Uh, somebody who was, who was a huge star. Kevin Costner? You know, Marlon Brando. Yeah, of course, of course. But he's like the main one. But I think Kevin Costner is, uh, you know, since the 90s, being this leading man. I haven't seen him in anything since uh, Waterworld. He's one of these actors that I'm sure he's good. I've never seen him in a role that I really like. He should also find some interesting movie makers and make some some good. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's rich. I mean, he can do whatever the fuck he likes. And I'm not sure I'm missing him terribly. But I mean, if you see, like, Nicolas Cage has also made some really interesting art house choices uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the past years. And um, it's worthwhile considering, you know, actors you may have counted as mm. talentless hacks. Mm. And uh, reframing them can be interesting. Definitely. But Nicolas Cage has always been interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. Always kind of been pushing boundaries. And I mean, he did a bunch of these shit action films that, you know, they're not very interesting. He's typically the most interesting thing about them, though. Yeah, it's weird because he's always done good stuff, mm. like ever since mm. Wild with Heart and, and even before that. He's... Yeah. Uh, what's this Coen Brothers film, The uh, uh, Raising Arizona? He's so fun in that. Yeah. <laughs> But he's just starting so much garbage uh. that it sort of overwhelms his more brilliant work. I feel like he, he's transcended that aspect of his career, that he's had enough of these really interesting roles, these interesting films, that you can kind of tell whether or not you're going to want to see a Nicholas yeah, Cage film. Yeah, but, you know, that's the redemption arc. He did have yeah. the redemption. And uh, I think Orlando Bloom, Kevin Costner, not Kevin Spacey. I, that's That's <laughs> the anti-redemption. That's straight to hell. And that's a that's a sore point for you. No, personally? I mean, like, no, I mean, like it's a difficult. Um, you know, how, how do you relate to that? It's. I don't, really, I don't really relate to Kevin Spacey. I, no, but I, I mean, like <laughs> that kind of um, situation. Like he's a person that just transgresses in his personal life to a degree that makes it really uh, unpleasant to deal with the idea of future prospects. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of the human equivalent of an unpleasant movie. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. He makes you think. <laughs> he makes you think. <laughs> that's kind of a compliment though. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a bit too high praise for him. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that's it for now. And yeah. We'll... Had a bit of a nice movie talk. That's good. Um, so thank you listener for listening to us talk about whatever came to mind. Uh, the music for this episode was made by Umulium. That's Jus Garning and Sverre Ogor. The artwork was made by me, Thomas Himmelsen Barnbra. You can get in touch with us at unpleasantmovies at protonmail.com. Check out our Instagram. So thanks for now and adieu. Adieu. Adieu.